Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most, to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristram Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and am a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is Growing Bold with Carers. And our guest is our co-host, Mr. Tristram Peters, and his carer, Dan Conigan. In this episode, we'll learn a little bit more about our boy Tristram and how Dan became a carer and what these two get up to. Boys, welcome to Grow Bold with Disability. Cheers, Pete. How are we doing? <laughs> now, Tristram, the shoe is on the other foot. Here we go. It feels very weird. I'm anxious, but ready to go. Now, people who have listened to our podcast previously would be aware that you have spinal muscular atrophy. Mate, can you explain that to everyone for us, please? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, spinal muscular atrophy is essentially uh, a muscle wasting disease. So, um, both mum and dad had recessive genes that um, got passed on to me. So, my muscles deteriorated from a very early age and I've required pretty much assistance to do most of my personal care ever since. I'm in a power wheelchair to get around. Um, but yeah, my independence is, is limited to a large degree because of it. So you, so you were born with it, but it slowly crept in. So when did it really, did you walk? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you call it walking. I'm all hobbled. I hobbled for a while till <laughs> I was about two. Um, and then mm-hmm. mum was the one that was something, something's not quite right. I wasn't reaching the same physical milestones as my, my peers. Um, and then she took me to the doctors. Doctors said, you're just being a over-anxious mother, get on with it. Um, but mum was certain that there was something a bit amiss and she kept taking me to the doctors. And finally, we got a diagnosis that, yeah, it was, was SMA. So um, no one in our family has had SMA. It was a shock and um, no one in our family had really had a disability. So it was something definitely to come to grips with. So what does that mean for you day to day? What are your restrictions? What can you do? Yeah, good question. So I'm great at driving my chair and that's about <laughs> it. Um, okay. I uh, have uh, someone do most of my personal care. So showering, dressing, cutting out my food. Um, other, other than talking and driving my chair, I'm very reliant on most of the physical day-to-day tasks. Um, someone else coming in and helping me with them. Okay, so let's bring Dan on in here. Let's find out a little bit about Dan before we get you two together. So, Dan, when did you when did you become a carer? Uh, so, I've always sort of been involved in care with Tris, sort of informally growing up our entire lives. But I got more involved in a work capacity once I'd left high school. So, I started doing it um, for an income at that point. Um, Tris actually asked me to start helping out with him once he'd left high school as well as well to start helping him go to university, which is pretty cool, just hanging out with him at uni, falling asleep on beanbags when he was in lectures. A pretty hard life, really. Um, and then I, I did it a bit more professionally. Um, and it was um, it was pretty good for a while, but it was probably a bit too confronting for me at that point and how old I was as well. I wasn't ready to deal with it then. So then I drifted away from care for about five or six years and then got back into it um, about three years ago. And then I've been doing it full time since then. So to fill people in, what's your relationship with Tristram? So, uh, Tris is unfortunately my cousin and best friend. So, um, I'm also <laughs> probably considered one of his primary carers as well. So, um, he gets the unfortunate task of me waking him up this morning. I got him up out of bed and um, we did personal care. 
So took him to the bathroom, showered him, got him ready, dressed, ready to attack the world. Literally told him about my night and unleash all of my problems on him because he's my best friend and get to pay him out the whole time as well. And then I get paid and leave the house. So um, it's a pretty good relationship. I can't <laughs> escape, Pete. That's the issue. <laughs> oh, but he can't get away from you either. Now, let's just go back no, to no. you said, so are you guys similar age? So you both left high school at the same time? Yeah. So um, yeah. I'm two months older than Tris and therefore I'm a lot better than him as well. And that's pretty much where my superiority over Tris finishes. <laughs> So then you went to you went to uni. So you would take Tristram to lectures, and you just sit there. Would you just zone out, or would you be paying attention, doing the same course at the same time? Oh no, no, no! I would literally fall asleep outside in a beanbag. I would not pay attention in the slightest. Like I was, I've not motivated like Tris in the slightest for self improvement. He's um, he's very different to me. We're cut from a different cloth in that regard, but. I, I would literally, you know, I, I'd be working in a hospitality job at the time, would have a bit of extra time as well. So it was a good time to hang out with Tris and get to know him post-school, which is, you know, a really formative years in your life as well. So I I'd literally would fall asleep in beanbags and Tris was so polite in the study areas that he didn't want to shout at me. So he'd have to run into me to wake me up. And people, of course, would be looking at this guy in a wheelchair who's running into a bloke who's fallen asleep on a beanbag thinking, what the hell's going on here? But it's like, okay, no, they're mates. It's all right. <laughs> so Tris, is it strange having your cousin as your carer? Uh look, I I don't think so. I think it's in many ways a lot easier having your best mate care for you. It's it's um one, there's the physical component, but also there's obviously all the emotional aspects of having a disability. And being able to share that um with your best mate um, makes it a lot easier. So for me, it's, it's not all that weird. It's sort of something that I've always grown up with that's just normal and I love it for it. But do you find, what about those private moments when you just want to like, I don't know, talk to a girl or you know what I mean? Something you don't want anyone else around for. He's, he knows everything. He does. He does. It's scary. Um, if you ever want to tell all, just just blackmail Dan because he'll spill the beans. But it's uh, Glad- it's very gladly as well. <laughs> you don't even need to blackmail him. We'll just do it anyway. Um, Put me on a podcast. What you yeah, should do? Yeah, let's do it now. Let's just air, air all my dirty laundry. Um, but Dan's really great at at knowing that there is that professional boundary when he's my support worker he goes you know what Trish you do need some time by yourself sometimes and we'll sort of um not be really overbearing like he'll just step away and just say call me when you need me I'll come and help out and that makes it so much easier like it's sometimes a difficult thing to navigate that boundary but Dan does it so so well when he's in that professional capacity as a support worker so how many carers have you actually had Outside, let's let's not count. Let's not count mum and dad, obviously. But yeah, the professional. That's a yeah. That's a good question. I I legitimately think that I would have had easily a hundred plus carers wow. in my life. Um, from going to respite when to I was long. younger, people. Yeah, that's it. They just I just go through. <laughs> I just don't want to stay here. No, it, it's uh some great some great carers that sort of have stuck around for a long long time for two three years it helped me out and um you know that's a lot of people that um it's a strange strange dynamic i said to dan the other day like that's a lot of people that have seen me naked like they're yeah. just strange <laughs> when you put it like that but it's, it's just the way that it is <laughs> <laughs> and what about bad experiences you've obviously had some bad ones as well oh i've had oh i've had some shockers i remember uh, when I was with an organization that remained nameless many, many years ago, 
I used to have these very, very like, uh, I don't know, stern nun-like carers who would mm. like yell at me to do my stretches and and become very overbearing in the in the way in which they don't see me as a human. They see me as a job essentially. I'm I'm just mm-hmm. a client that they help out. And so it completely destroys all that human connection. So having like as like a 15 year old, having like a 50 year old carer yell at you to do your stretches and and not appreciate you for a human, that's that's probably the worst aspect. Is there a part there where you sometimes just want to have a professional person because sometimes it can get too personal? Uh, yeah, look, I, I think I think something that is easier for me is that I've always had the disability, so I've never had to adjust. So mm. I don't really care if they're professional or not. More often than not, it's just common sense. If they've got common sense, that's good for me. Like if they just show initiative and I often say that it's not necessarily about the qualifications. The people that I get along with the best are carers who are completely new to the industry um, and don't have their set patterns and and whatnot um, and just get along with me. Those are the ones that I really value. Well, actually, Dan, let me bring you in here too. What's involved in becoming a carer? Um, I, I don't really so know the formal aspect. I've been very, very fortunate, and this is a cruel thing to say, that I've always been around disability. It's um, sort of like a double-edged sword to say something like that. It's, um, but being around Tris, I have a lot of lived experience around disability and also hanging around his mate, who are some of my really good mates now as well. So um, when I approached a couple of organisations, they'd asked me what experience I had, and previously you didn't actually need any formal qualification to be a carer. Um, depending on the company, they may want you to. So I've um, currently gone through my cert foreign community access to do care through a company. But I think through your ABN, you just need to have like, you know, your first aid, your CPR and a good attitude. And that's that's a really big thing, learning to listen and learn. So why did you want to become a carer? Um, I really like helping people. Um, I'd seen Tris with a lot of different carers and a lot of them impact people's lives very, very personally. And that's it's a really powerful thing helping out people that much. Like I had one client when I was about 19, he was in a leadership camp. So he was 16, his last year of year 12. And this story rocks me to my core. So he was, um, degen muscular dystrophy. He was quite small, about uh, a meter 20, um, very, very underdeveloped for a 16 year old male at that point. Um, looked like a 12 year old boy who was a little bit overweight. Very, very brutal, couldn't run, was very slow, high-pitched voice. Didn't really fit in with the rest of the group. And there was um, an army course that they went through at the Year 12 camp. So anyway, at this uh, Year 12 camp, the army course had a three-meter-tall wall that all the kids had to ascend. The kid that I was taking care of immediately saw it, was like, nah, cannot do it, no chance in hell. But then with the group who was Year 12 students, they're like, nah, man, we reckon we can get you over this. We can do this. So then they all climbed him up, put him over the wall, and then we slowly lowered him down. And like that was one of the most empowering things I think I've ever done, helping someone achieve something they never thought possible. Sorry. You're right. Um, so, yeah, helping people do things that they never... <clears throat> Helping people do things that they never thought possible really moves me. And like, it's selfish, but I love that. 
So is Tris your um, only client at the moment? Um, unfortunately for him, during coronavirus, he is. So um, <laughs> uh, he gets to see me seven days a week indefinitely for the future. And um, I think that's a great thing at first until I'm seeing him seven days a week for the indefinite future. And it's a very <laughs> real thing to um, – it's a double-edged sword. Like uh, Tris is my best friend. I love him to death, but we need space. <laughs> So um, at the at the moment, seeing him that much, it is really fantastic. But previous to Corona, I was um, I was working three different clients, so it's a bit more variety. It's um, changes up a bit, and it also gives Tris a bit more peace of mind when he's not seeing me so frequently. Like he's got a very limited team at the moment as well, so it's uh, it's not just um, me who's suffering under this as well. So Tris, how does this work? Does your carer stay overnight at your house, wake you up in the morning and go through your day, then someone else might swap the shift later that afternoon or how does it roll? Yeah, so during daytime, uh, I have less support. So I'm pretty much working at my laptop all day long. So I have a carer rock up at about 7 p.m. to sort of do the whole dinner routine, put me to bed, stay overnight and then they're usually um, replaced by another carer in the morning who then does the morning routine and does the shower and all that sort of stuff. So um, they're big, big shifts. Um, I've got a great team at the moment, and um, I think they all enjoy the fact that they get paid to sleep um, overnight. <laughs> they're, they're, they're a perks. Um, but without that support, um, I wouldn't be able to roll myself during the night. So like, I'll call out during the night to get rolled. Otherwise, I get pressure sores and... Um, that sort of thing. So it's vital, but it's it's also in a strange sort of childish way. It's like sleepovers. We just watch movies and play games, and it's good fun. So how does that work? Does if let's let's say you're having a, a glass of wine with dinner, and then you have a third or a fourth, can you do you say to to Dan, Dan, I want a fifth glass of wine? He goes, No, you're not allowed to have it. Does that sort of stuff? You know what I mean? If you want to do something a little bit cheeky or naughty or eat too much food, is he in control of that, or are you in control? Hey, uh, hey, Dan, do you want to tell them when we went to Melbourne? Oh, so this is, uh, this is classic Dan and Tris going away. Um, I am a big advocate for empowering the client to do what they want to do. I am not your parent. I am not your mother. I'm not your father. I am here to help you achieve what you want to do. It's not what I want to do, and I'm a massive believer in this. Tris, I think, sometimes likes to take advantage of this, and we'll tell a story ensuing. So we were down in Melbourne one weekend... Uh, almost two years ago to the day, actually. And um, we catch up with a couple of friends on the river in the CBD. We're having a whole bunch of drinks. It's a fantastic night. Tris ends up needing to go to the bathroom. So we run up to the bathroom. That's all gravy. As we're coming back from the bathroom, a gentleman steps in front of Tris. This is unbeknownst to the gentleman that Tris is about to drive behind him. As this happens, Tris accidentally drives over the guy's ankle foot region. It bends horrifically. We're all horrified thinking Tris has broken the guy's ankle. Tris backs up. Guy pulls his ankle away. We're all really apologetic. It's all sweet. We continue back to our table after we've already had a couple of drinks. The guy then follows us up to our table, apologizes to Tris, and makes him have another shot. This is the shot that just did it all. So Tris is already fairly chatty. It's the one that tips me over yeah, the edge. He, yeah. he was already fairly chatty if you catch my drift. So we finish up drinking. We mm -hmm. end up continuing up through, I think it's Federation Square in Melbourne, which is quite similar to um, George Square in Brisbane. So it's a really easy layout for us to navigate. I'm walking beside Tris as we normally do, chatting how the night's gone, yada, 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 on our way back to our hotel. 
as we're going through Federation Square, probably about 10 meters up ahead, I'm like, hey, buddy, there's a step coming. I've got to, let's move over to the side. Tris just continues running straight. I'm like, hey, Tris, come on. There's a step coming up. Like, come on, buddy. What are you doing? Tris just continues driving straight. There's no step, Dan. No step. <laughs> on, on the third track, I have to hit Tris's hand off his control. I'm like, buddy, there's a step there. Like, you're about to go down this. At that point, he's like, oh, wow, there's actually a stand there. I didn't see this. So this is like, I will empower him to have the drinks. But when it comes to him self-harming, I will at some point step in to make sure that his mother and father will still talk to me. Because at the end of the day, they're my auntie <laughs> and uncle, and they're who I'm responsible to. <laughs> I think I think that's a great point that I, I think needs to follow up, is the fact that people with disabilities are so often wrapped in like cotton wool. And mm-hmm. just like everyone else are able-bodied, we, we learn by taking risks and making mistakes. And as long as the carers help us do that in a really safe environment, that's how we learn. So it shouldn't be any different, even if it nearly results in me driving down a flight of stairs. I'm willing anyway, to take that risk every single day of the week, mate. <laughs> hey, um, do you guys ever fight? All the time. Constantly. <laughs> I pick fights, yeah. No, yeah, yeah but I know what, I know what you two are like together. But you know, and is it does it ever has it ever come got serious? We um, I I reflected with Tris about this a couple of months back that when we were kids, I knew I couldn't fight with Tris the same way I could fight with my brother and sister. And this is when we were really little, maybe like four or five, something like that. So I couldn't punch or kick Tris like I could my brother or sister because I was the youngest of three. <laughs> so when Tris and I would sit on the ground, rather than us punching or kicking each other, we'd lean our foreheads really hard against each other. And that was like our way of expressing like <laughs> physical exertion against each other rather than, because I knew I couldn't hit Tris, but I really wanted to hit Tris. So this was like my way of like, Ugh! and I'm pretty sure Tris got a lot of like, you know, enjoyment release and, you know, headbutting me in his own little way as well. Um, I think we've grown past that. Can't punch. Yeah. yeah. And um, <laughs> I strongly encourage anyone to Google what Tris looks like because he has a noggin on him. Um, but as, as we've grown as adults, I'd like to think we've learned how to use our words a bit better. You know, sometimes we're still really petty and we really like to annoy each other. Like I get really, really annoying to Tris when he'll ask me to like raise his arm, obviously to scratch like an itch on his face. But rather than lifting his arm to his face, I'll lift it all the way in the air so it's completely above his head and then it's useless to him. So he has to get really, really specific with his directions to me. And then people who don't know that I've been antagonizing him all day doing this for six hours just hear Tris, just put my hand to my face, you asshole. And it's like, I win. I'm the good person to be. <laughs> what about, do you do, ever do things that, to him like like not plug his chair in overnight or something so he can't do anything the next day? Or, or I, I am a big fan of pranks, but like, that would that would just piss me off so bad. I've had blokes caring <laughs> for whose chairs haven't been plugged in the night before, and I then have to push them from like halfway through the botanical gardens in Brisbane to a train station <laughs> on a completely dead chair that weighs 140 kilos plus an 80 kilo bloke in it. So I wouldn't wish that on anyone, let alone Tris. But look, you know, we'll see how the week plays out. If he keeps being a jerk, you know, anything's on the cards. <laughs> you haven't got to go far. You're all in lockdown. Yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey, Tris. Tris, there's a lot going on at the moment, and we've spoken about this in the previous podcasts. In the world of sort of independent living for people with disabilities, mm. what's um? How's that as a prospect for you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, in the midst at the moment of getting my own unit in the Brisbane CBD, which mm-hmm. is massive. So look, whenever I, uh, you know, as a kid thinking about the future, I always wanted to move out by the age of 30 and I'm going to achieve that just. <laughs> um, but it's oh, always been something that... <laughs> 40? Oh, man. <laughs> no, just, just joking, just there, joking. So he's rubbing up on me. <laughs> Good influence. Yeah, it's you two. Can't have you two combined. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. So, get back to that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's so it, it is happening. Um, and so within the next two months, I'll be um, living in my own place. Um, you know, and it's going to be amazing. So that's going to be uh, a unit that has um, sort of voice activation and, you know, automatic doors and it's going to allow me to live more independently. Um but then on top of that, have more support workers coming into the home. I'm not going to be living with mum and dad. So um, managing a much bigger team, which is going to be fun and having to do all the adult things like go shopping and buy my groceries and cook and then clean up afterwards. It's something that sounds so like mundane, but something I'm looking Quite forward adult to. adult things. I yeah. want to clarify. He means instruct myself or one of his other support workers to do a better job cleaning. Like, Let's really call it what it is. Supervise. Supervise. <laughs> that counts. Yeah. I was going to say, if you're going to pick clothes up off the ground, come on. Yeah. He's not a bad supervisor, De- though. Delegating. That counts. Yeah. You just point, don't you? Yeah. He nods with his head. <laughs> just Sometimes. Just over there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, boys, now we all know um, when we wrap up this podcast, we like to ask the same question, obviously because the podcast is called Grow Bowl with Disability. So I'm going to start with you, Dan. What does living a bold life mean to you? Um, to me, it'd be like, it's a bit cliche, but living like Tris. Um, he lives his life unapologetically, life to the fullest. And, you know, I've had this conversation that whether he would actually live his life as large as he has if he wasn't disabled. The fact that because he is disabled, he lives his life possibly a little bit fuller and takes more risk because he almost has to. So, um yeah, living your life unapologetically and to the fullest. Yeah, nice one. And Tris, what does living a bold life mean to you? Oh, I've had so many good answers to that question over the course mm-hmm. of the series. <laughs> I've got to come up with something equally. Dan, Dan summed it up unashamedly. I suppose for me, I've always been a bit stubborn. Um, and I think sometimes it's important to live life a bit stubbornly. It's, it's doctors... Um, didn't give me the best diagnosis growing up. And for me, that's what gave me the drive and the motivation to sort of challenge assumptions and, and whatnot. So a streak of stubbornness sometimes when when channeled appropriately is is the best thing. And that to me is living a bold life. It's It's been stubborn and a bit cheeky. Fantastic. Now, boys, thank you so much for joining us today on Grow Bowl with Disability, brought to you by Ferros Care. And our listeners can find out more about Tristram and Dan, if they really want to, in today's episode show notes. Thanks, boys. Thanks for joining thank us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. You go all right, Dan. See you next time. Cheers, bud. See you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Grow Bold with Disability. And if you like what you heard, and please take a few moments to pop over to iTunes and give our podcast a quick rating so we can continue these conversations and encourage people to grow bold. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold and for over 25 years, 
Ferris has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.